Welcome to the Guardian Mindset Podcast presented by attorney Eric Daigle. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. And as I've said to you over the past couple of weeks, we're going back through through some of my core group of instructors, uh, friends, partners, guys and gals that can just uh, I consider to be the best in the business. And and I couldn't go through this without bringing back a good friend, uh, Chief Liam Dugan. Chief, how are you, sir? Man, I'm good, Eric. Uh, I appreciate you uh, having me for conversation today. It's good to see and hear you. Well, since the last time we had you on, you were uh, promoted to chief. And uh, tell us a little bit about how, the, how that's going. Yeah, uh, just very beginning of this past December. Really blessed to to uh, stay with the city that uh, that I've been at since um, uh, kind of middle to end of 2019. And the outgoing chief uh, had quite a succession plan, kind of department wide, trying to set people up for for success there. And so uh, took over the role. December 5th. And um, so we're just past kind of that 90 day uh, mark here. And uh, as I joke with uh, other friends in the business, right? So nothing's blown up or exploded yet. And and our our officers and staff are fantastic people in a great city. So I, I have absolutely no complaints that anyone would care to hear. Uh, and uh, we haven't changed squad cars or badges yet either, which I'm told chiefs are supposed to do right away. So no, no, don't do that consistency works <laughs> right how how is policing in the area uh as things uh calm down a little bit and officers starting to get their stride back a little bit yeah it calms a relative word right around the country any given day something is happening somewhere and and uh, it seems like the world is kind of in a place where we collectively like to lose our minds as fast as we can and and uh Calm and chaos start with the same letter, but uh, don't seem to exist at the same time. So, uh, I'll tell you this: I I marvel I marvel every single day that the women and men still choose. It's always a choice, right? They still choose to come to work. Uh, they come to work with an attitude of uh, of serving with dignity, and I call it treating our people like family. And sometimes families are dysfunctional, but they still choose. And so, I just I'm I'm excited that that is still happening, and. Uh, you know, as far as the 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 environment today, this whatever new is right, the new normal. Um, we just adapt, right? We adapt and we move forward, and and we right. we do what we need to do. And sooner or later, somebody will take the attention off you somewhere else, right? Yeah, just wait, Minnesota, right? I'm a Minnesota boy. If Minnesota weather is just wait five minutes, and it'll change. So maybe this uh, this legal environment is the same. Just wait five minutes. Somewhere, something will uh, will pop off. And see, the, the key of this podcast is always to show the younger officers that hard work, dedication, and learning your profession gets you through this through this process all the way to like you, all the way up to the to the number one C. And and I do want to step back because I first started interacting with you as an instructor in Caliber Press, and you have been gracious enough to join us for the Use of Force Summit for multiple years now. We'll get into that a little, little bit and talk about your your training side. But hey, kudos to you for uh, being named instructor of the year for 2022. Congratulations, man! That was totally unexpected. That was a sandbag job uh, with uh, Adam and folks. But I, you know, I, I, I've said before, Eric, whether it's your summit, the folks you bring in, or others, and I, I mean it with all sincerity. 
Um, the only reason I've even existed or been able to get to the point in my career, whether it's training or elsewhere, is because giants have allowed me to stand beside them and then stand on their shoulders. Uh, and that's exactly how something like that comes about. I certainly not deserved, but what I will what I will take that and accept that as is a tip of the hat to the the Lou Ann Hamblins and the Kevin Dillons and the Eric Diggles and everyone else who has even taken one second of time to invest in me so that I can maybe impact moving forward. That's the only reason things like that happen. So thank you. Well, we're not really good at talking about ourselves, so that's the the key. But I will tell you, everybody, that uh, you are a phenomenal instructor and anybody gets a chance to take your class, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to make and continue you to be an outstanding leader just because you've always been focused on your people and focused on on the the way that the job is done. And so one of the classes that you've taught for us and you've taught generally is the art and science of decision-making. You want to kind of talk about that for a little bit and talk about the application of that class? Yeah, it could, it's, uh, it's a truth. Today, it was 100 years ago, it'll be a truth in 100 years till we're all replaced by AI. And that is uh, police officers and humans, for that matter, trying to acknowledge that there are two sides to every decision. It's the, the biological, the chemical, the mental piece of, of how your brain works. And then the art, right, that we all hopefully learn in this profession, I mean, uh, of talking to people, dealing with people, making decisions. I, when I was 21 years old getting in this job, it's, it's a godsend that I didn't get killed or kill people because I didn't understand the impact of my own decisions and words, right? I'd poke the bear every chance I got because that's what I thought was cool, we right? We kind of all did, unfortunately. hundred percent, right? And it wasn't until senior guys or gals or the guy in the street said, I'm going to call your bluff, young man, with a badge. And uh, so you start to learn what's the art of dealing with people. What What is, you know, what is being married taught you? What has being a good friend taught you? And so that conversation, the art and science really is getting people to acknowledge and understand that there's no... There's no one trick pony. There's no one book you can follow, one tactic you can follow. Um, every human interaction is different and it requires constant assessment and evaluation to, I, I always use the term pursue better. The, really one of the few things I can demand from myself and my staff, and for that matter, all 800,000 cops in this country, is you have to pursue better every single day. You have committed that to yourself and to others. Right. And so that art and science is about pursuing better. Well, the funny part is I know our our little uh, triangle there involves Kevin, and we were just having a same conversation specifically about the 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 aspect of being a professional and becoming professional and 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 forcing yourself to be better. And one thing that I like to focus on in this podcast is that everybody on this podcast, we didn't get here by ourselves. We got here by our relationships, our partnerships, and, and making mistakes, right? We learn by mistakes. Yeah, Matt, if you don't mind, let me use your national slash international platform. I'm going to tell you this. It's Monday. I came to work this morning. I'm in uniform. I got, I'm got. i looking and feeling good. I go downstairs to our uh, – we've just transitioned to Taser 7s, and uh, the report's already been inked, so I can say it publicly. Uh, I go downstairs to to test my Taser 7, which has a different 
testing sequence, right, than previous tasers. And I have I have tested and pressed the taser thousands of times. And I, Eric, I went down there, put it into test mode, but instead of pressing the arc button, I pressed the damn trigger and deployed a, a cartridge. Was not supposed to happen. Uh, I can tell you it was inadvertent, but I did exactly what I told my brain to do. The problem is in that split second, I didn't slow it down and focus like I was supposed to. And so I have a discharge on a cartridge that should not have happened. Then I got to do an admin report. I got to call my less lethal guy and tell him that I just deployed a, a cartridge. The chief is sitting here, you know, asking the commander to approve his report. It was ridiculous, but I suffered in that moment. And exactly the what how fast did that go through the department? She, uh, you know what? I've had my door closed most of the day, so I don't even know. I, <laughs> I'm quite sure pretty quickly. Well, listen, we've all been there, so don't don't feel too bad about that. Yep, yep. Mistakes get uh, made. So. so, as you as you took on the role of commander, especially over IAA, and then kind of developed into the the chief area, when you transitioned to a new police department or one that you hadn't worked in for a while, how did you focus on identifying what was going to be the the main items that you wanted to address when you got there? And what did you qualify as being the most important things that you were going to look at when you got to the department? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, so, boy, let me think, how do I attack this intelligently? So my, I can only say my experience, right? Um, the two most dangerous words I think right. for any leader anywhere are, are the words I know. Because as soon as you say I know, you are immediately dismissing a whole lot of stuff. And so I tried to make the move here with asking a question, what don't I know? Um, cause I could, I could tell you, I stepped in and saw some training areas, right. That, um, deficiency really strong were areas we could grow in. And, uh, but that was just my initial view. And, and honestly, the biggest battle I found as an outsider coming in is this profession where we are sharks, we are always looking for blood in the water. So my goal was to create an atmosphere where the T word trust people trusted at least that I wasn't here to hurt them. Right. I wasn't here to right. damage things. And that took a long time to build, even though we have fantastic people here as we're just not trusting individuals. So although I saw areas, whether it was integrity affairs or training, or even the simplest administrative procedures that I knew we could grow and, and become better in, um, you don't turn small ships or cruise ships fast, right? Because everyone gets thrown overboard. So yeah. the my goal was to sit and ask questions. What don't I know? Um, you know, to use of force incidents. And I can say this confidently, even from the chief spot, the end outcome, I'm really not concerned with. I'm concerned with what the process was that led to it. Because we can't control those outcomes. We can try and influence them. So when I was watching things like our integrity of integrity affairs processes, our investigative intake and monitoring processes, our even our our training development and then debriefs, why and how were those things in place? What were the processes going on? Um, and then how could we break into that process stream, just like decision making? How could we break into it to find out why we're actually doing what we do? How are we doing it? Because whether it's resulting in fine, we'll come to that later. Um, but that was my biggest thing is what are the current processes? How and why are we doing those things? And sometimes the answer was, uh, boss, I don't even know why we're doing that. 
Great. Okay, now we got a starting point. Right. Not not understanding the why. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, I th- think it's been about a year and a half, maybe even a little longer since we had you on the last po- uh, podcast. And and you know, what would you consider to be some of the most significant developments that we've seen in the past year and a half in policing in your neck of the woods? Well, man, I, so we're in the same boat everyone else is in terms of um, not only recruitment and retention of staff, but leadership development, because there are people getting out of these jobs at such a rate still. And it doesn't matter what the reason is. I want to go be a carpenter or have PTS. The reasons really don't matter. So organizations on both ends of the spectrum, including mine, are battling, how do I bring in energy and knowledge, competency, and good character? How do I also develop my leadership for the future, right? How do I hold on to such critical assets? Um, my street supervisors, you know, my street bosses, my command staff, how do I develop them? That's, that's for me, that's been one of the biggest attack points is preparing our agency for the future so that my frontline leaders are identified as early on, maybe even earlier than, than my patrol coppers think, right? Who wants to, who wants to lead for the future? Uh, and then getting them set because God forbid I could be killed in a fiery crash today. Well, someone's going to need to step up and put some stuff on their collar. And I hope it's people that not only want to do it, but are prepared to do it. So that's probably been one of the biggest challenge points is not only getting people in the door, but how do I value my people who are currently here and prepare them to want and be ready for that future leadership? And have you come up with any uh, structures or philosophies that you're working towards to meet those meet those very high standards? Boy, um, if I had the answer, I'd probably not be wearing this uniform. I'd probably be writing a book somewhere and on a, on a speaking <laughs> tour. But, uh, um, you know, it, again, talking to people like Katie and others, you know, who've been and done, um, for me, it's, it really is about people. And that's the biggest thing I talk about. I use the two words, character and competency. Um, and I balance those with the words celebration and accountability, right? I need people of excellent, excellent character first and foremost. If you gave me enough time, I'll teach a monkey how to shoot. I'll even teach a monkey how to write a ticket, but I can't teach that animal the character that has to be the foundation of everything. So how do I constantly instill, especially in my current and future leaders, that this is this really is a character-based profession. Um, the competencies are critical, and we'll build those and we'll work on them. But character comes first, and that then that feeds into, like I said, my mantra, just for for my PD is uh, celebration and accountability. We will celebrate loudly people's accomplishments, whether they're tiny or huge. We'll make a big deal out of it, even though cops say they don't want to want to make a big deal out of it. And we hold ourselves accountable first and foremost for partners and then our, our citizens there, you know, I tell my sergeants all the time, the second those stripes go on, you have now forgiven any right to ever pass up an opportunity to either celebrate someone or coach them. You, you do not have the right, just like none of us have the right to be out of shape. Um, you gave that up. Right. And so, um, building a, the word, the C word culture is thrown around a lot, but building a culture where we are actively seeking opportunities to celebrate, where we are constantly aware of those accountability moments and we don't pass them up. We don't, 
I use the word shine the light, right? We're shining a light on everything. What do we do well? Where do we need to do better? Um, and so right, right. long answer to your short question, where do we, what's the, where do I start? I start by just talking about it constantly. Hearing those words constantly, celebrating accountable, holding ourselves accountable, competency and character. Um, and at some point those words start to become normal. And then we start seeking opportunities uh, to actually say, hey, there it is. Man, what a great character moment that was. One of our coppers did something that was so normal and everyday, and yet the citizen responded like we'd give them, give them a million dollars. Well, the copper was like, this is what I do. Right. Well, that's character right there, my man, my lady. That's character, right? You, you, you do that intentionally, and it starts to have impact moving forward. You know, that made me think of a couple of things because I love that analogy, character and competency, because especially right now with a lack of uh, recruitment and retention issues, the challenge that we're faced with in the industry is that they want us to reduce standards to bring on more people, and both, but they have no they have no knowledge of what that will do to the character application, right? What's your thoughts on what's your thoughts on those that try to reduce the standards in order to to meet a number of individuals, but we might be giving up the thing that you consider to be the most important character? Yeah, the I mean, man, this conversation is as old as dirt. I mean, it's it's been tried and true, and it it constantly comes back around. And the first question I'd ask, whatever county board or it doesn't matter hiring authority who says we're going to lower the standards, I'd say, okay, what? Tell me what your current standards are. Uh, tell me what each of those standards means, and the and the the the, the hidden asterisk here is: Do you even know? So, why did that standard exist? What did that standard? What was it intended to drive? Right? Uh, forgive me, because I've never worked in Memphis, but uh, uh, if we look at that event, my response would be: What the hell did you think was going to happen when you did what you did, leading to the development of that? And you know, I'm not speaking to the whole department, because there are phenomenal women and men working. But when you lower standards, where right, you absolutely. push people into positions where you have little to no supervision, just no, very little training, or you're throwing them faster than their skill sets can take them, what did you think was going to happen? You got exactly out of the machine what you put into the machine. So if you start lowering right. physical standards, age standards, educational standards, what have you, because your goal is a number, well, I tell you what, like a freight train coming, if you can't hear it, you're going to get exactly what you're putting into it. And that is a damn mess. An absolute, you are going to fail your current people who are good women and men trying to work hard. You're going to fail your citizens. And then when the thing happens, the the, the event happens, for any one of those controlling uh, boards or influences, don't for one second say, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. How could this happen? Well, hearken back to the moment you approved that change in standards. And that's exactly when you put that that in play. Shame on you is what I say. And that's from a guy who's trying to hire people and it's hard and impossible. And I'm working my current officers to the bone on overtime. I get it, but I will never, never put someone in a uniform knowingly or even possibly believing that they don't have an excellent chance for success. That shame on me then if I ever did that and shame on those people who are simply looking at it from a numbers game. I, I guarantee you, I know what's going to happen. They can write it down like one of those choose your ending books. It's coming. You're just not seeing it yet. And I'm not even talking about the liability issues. We're just talking about the everyday 
work issues, everyday production issues. Yeah, whether it's report writing, right? One of the most base critical skills on the planet. If you're if you are lowering standards, chances are, right? I don't know what I don't know, but chances are you're bringing in people who who at least don't think or can't articulate themselves as well as they need to. So what, what are you going to do to correct the report, right? Are you going to have someone else write the report for them? Or we're bringing in younger folks that are younger, right. potentially lowering age standards to 18. My God, uh, right? The human brain in a male isn't even we developed until already. about 25. It, exactly. So it's, it's frustrating, Eric. It's super frustrating. I get it. I know why. But you are writing a script that's already been seen, and that movie ain't no good for anybody. Yeah, I I get frustrated as you know because we try to we try to do the same thing over and over again without ever looking at the result, and and the go to is well let's do something different let's go back to what we did before. No, how about we just keep moving forward? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, when you when you fail to learn from it, you are doomed to repeat it. Right? So many different ways to say the same thing. So, yep. Well, the one thing that I know great about your command aspect and i wanted to share this and ask and get your thoughts on it is really focusing on the first line supervisor um you know just on and, and you know we, i wrote an article after memphis on this issue uh supervision and how important supervision is to the structure and and so what are the tell me about your theories of first line supervision and maybe some of the things that that you mandate in your department to make sure that your department that your supervisors are just not uh they're they're actually living the theories that they're trying to to uh emulate yeah i i'm with you um and it's easy for someone in my position to say and i hope these words aren't hollow right but i i will tell my my i call the street bosses my for my sergeants you know my frontline leaders um their role literally is the most critical and foundational for an agency's success, period. They are the chiefs of the street. They are running these ships. Uh, they are the ones who will see, hear, smell, feel uh, the ship turning in the wrong direction or doing fantastic way before, no matter how good I think I might be in tune to the agency. They are the pulse takers um, of the agency. And so for me, it just starts with constantly reaffirming that importance level to them. If you don't like it, then I will take those stripes back and thank you for your service. But when you put those stripes on, you are accepting the hardest job in law enforcement. My role, easy. I, I can move numbers from column to column. I can dictate policy if I felt like it and pretend to think it will be impactful. But those sergeants, they literally are the lifeblood of the agency. And so for me, it starts with that constant affirmation and expectation. I, I make no apologies. Um, you accepted this job, and I will expect from you absolutely nothing less than your best every day. And side by side with that is, because I can't expect it if I don't provide, I will support you in right. every single way I can, both with celebration and with accountability. And when I when my support is lacking or our support as an agency is lacking, I need you to step up and tell me, right? So for me, first of all, it's that, it's that verbal, it's the words. I'm telling you how important this is. Um, and then it's constantly checking in with them 
again, how are we supporting you? How are we setting you up for success? Um, I tell my leadership group when we're in meetings, and I think I've said this to you before, Eric, um, I will tell them, you, one of your main jobs in these leadership meetings is to tell me things I don't want to hear. If the only thing you do is come in this room and go, hey, boss, that's, that's great stuff. Well, then I'm the dumbest, most intelligent person in the room. Just ask me. So tell me things I don't want to hear. Tell me what's going on out there. And unapologetically, give me the pulse of what's happening. And not just that. What's the plan, sir or ma'am? I don't want to hear you tell me, ah, this cop that and this call this. What's the plan? What did you already do about it, right? Where are we going to? We just changed our briefing room here um, from kind of a, a family style circle to a more structured kind of classroom style and completely rocked the boat a little bit for some of our folks. But here was my point. I said, listen, men and women in leadership, you run the shift. You run the shift. You run the shift. You are their leader. You are their boss. You are their go-to. You are their foundation for true norms. Run the shift. So run it from the front of that room, stand up there proud, deliver the briefing, talk about the things they need to do, debrief calls that just happened, go over training, but you run that ship just like I allegedly run this ship from a, a political standpoint, right? Or an agency head standpoint. Um, but you need to take that ownership. Um, and sometimes it's literally those little physical changes that make people uncomfortable to literally stand at the room and have all eyes go forward. And some of those eyes are senior to the sergeant, some of them are junior, um, but run that ship, right. run that ship and, and let, my, let our agency know, again, I don't wanna be a broke record, but back to celebration accountability, take moments in public to celebrate the newest officer's great call yesterday. Take moments to talk if there's a, a shift-wide issue of accountability, right? I don't like, um, I don't like shotgun approaches to sniper problems. So if you've got one issue with one cop, that's not the venue. You take them aside. But if it's a whole, if it's a whole shift issue, take the time right then to discuss it. We, we had a, uh, an officer in a jurisdiction near us recently, um, uh, tragically in a T-bone collision with a semi. Uh, the officer is on the highway, um, happened to be perpendicular to the highway for a split second, gets T-boned by a semi at like 70 miles an hour. This young copper is still struggling for his life right now. Um, uh, but I'll tell you, even not knowing all of the events, it, not knowing whether that cop did everything right in the moment, everything wrong, doesn't matter. There's learning moments. So my sergeants take ownership of that moment and run your shift with a conversation about EVOC and emergency vehicle operation. Right. Um, I talk all day long on it, but I, I'm telling you, it starts from my point of view. It starts with my sergeants knowing they're the linchpin. If this agency is going to be successful, it will not happen without you, sir and ma'am, taking control of the ship when I need you to. Yeah, I mean, you can't say any better. I always like, actually, you put like my next two questions right into play. So you might just want to add on them a little bit. But one of the, I want to separate them from a brand new supervisor being promoted. If a brand new supervisor came to you and said, you know, hey, chief. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Can you give me any advice on how to how to do this job effectively? Uh, you may have already touched on this, but is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Boy, um, I, first thing I would say is accept that you have just chosen the hardest job in law enforcement. Um, you you have it coming from the bottom, and you have it coming from the top, right? I don't like the phrase "things you know crap rolls downhill." 
because that in, that implies that I'm not doing my job right. Um, but uh, you accepted the hardest job on the planet, and remember that, right? And embrace that. Um, and so that's the first thing I would tell my newest leaders, and and I would tell them this too. Leadership is lonely. It's incredibly lonely. Um, whether you're at the top or even my line uh, supervisors there, um, because you're in this nomad land. You, you were maybe you were great friends with some of the shift yesterday, and now you put stripes on. Well, that relationship has to change at least at work. You are no longer first their friend. You can be friendly, but your job is not to be their friend first and foremost. It's to be their leader. And their leader sometimes might require being a shoulder uh, to lean on. And their leader sometimes might require putting some spurs to someone's butt or or something different, right? So that's what I would tell my I tell my first younger uh, younger leaders is, and don't be scared by it, but accept that leadership can be lonely at times. And really that just goes even more to the critical nature of it. Um, and then I tell them, you have to be in tune. Uh, it's not acceptable for a question to be asked about how's the shift doing and, and the answer, ah, they're, they're good. That's not good enough. How are they doing, right? And I'm talking like right. clinical doctor level, invasive nature, how are they doing? What's the temperature? What's the tone? Who's <laughs> doing well? Who's not? If someone is doing well, tell me what they're doing well. If they're not doing well, what are you doing about it? Is the shift, are there two officers arguing with each other? Uh, you know, I don't know. Not good enough. What are they arguing about? Well, it's their business, boss. No, it's our business. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to fix it for them. They need to work it out themselves if they can. But you better know what it's about. You've got to be, you have to be intimate with your people, whether you have one or a shift of 20. Um Again, back to how how difficult that job is. Yeah, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about community as we uh, as we got wrap this up. But I want to look at you know unique experience of having a police executive on this podcast because because what you learn over the years about your interaction and how to interaction with community is so valuable. But what you find is that you learn it at the end of your career, right? You become good at it at the end of your career. So I want to always, I want to always pick the brains of police executives like yourself who are very in tuned, and and really discuss the challenges we we face in policing with the community, and more importantly, whether you're in your commander role or in your chief role. Have you formed any opinions on how law enforcement as a whole can work better with the community as partners? Wow, uh, man, you don't ask small questions, Eric. Uh, boy, hey, I only got so, you for a short time, Jeff. I gotta <laughs> hit hard. Um, so, right, let me make the most obvious Pelian uh, statement if I can, and that is that the only reason police exist is because the community members have asked them to to exist. The community members empower them to exist. The community members say, we want you to exist. And I tell coppers, don't ever forget that. It is not the reverse. You're not here because you think you should be here. You're here because they have said, we want you here. And that could change tomorrow. Um, and so the, the the truth that I've been using this word a lot, my agency uses a lot, and the, the, the F word, family. My community members are part of my family. They're part of my extended family. And as I said at the very beginning here, families are dysfunctional sometimes. Families have to have arguments and disagreements. Sometimes one family member has to hold another one accountable. Uh, you know, and so 
my officers, I hope and believe that they believe in their heart that they are serving their family members, their extended family members, and constantly trying to do it with dignity and intentionality and sincerity, sometimes with very pinpoint directives and commands, sometimes, unfortunately, with force response. Um, but these community members are a family. And so how have we been doing this? How have we been at this? Well, honestly, now you need to get down to every single different jurisdiction. And it's the one thing that drives me insane about policing in the US. You have 16 or 17,000 different agencies that are all doing it differently, even though it's the same job. I don't know that that should be the way it is because a family member or a citizen in one area is a citizen in another area. And so if our officers can constantly pursue their service, believing that their job is critical, believing that they are important, believing that even our citizens in the most dysfunctional, chaotic moment of their lives, that's a family member in need of something. And now I go back to what that something might be, force response, a, a compassionate ear, a stern talking to. You have to look at things as delivering that level of service to your extended family and, and knowing that you do that because they have given you that authority. They have asked you to do that. And so the more you can put credit in the bank, right? Treating those family members, those citizens, um, as I don't know if I ever said it to you before, but Mr. Rogers, my favorite quote, he said, what if the person right in front of you were the most important person in the world for just those few moments? And so if my officers can treat, police officers can treat those citizens in front of them, like for just that 30 seconds, 60 seconds, five minutes, that is the most important person on the planet for the time you have, uh, man, I think we find ourselves in as good a spot as we can be in. It doesn't answer everything. It doesn't mean tragic police citizen outcomes won't happen. It doesn't mean injuries or deaths might won't ever happen. Um, but we start to get our, ourselves in a place really of using that, the word service, uh, for what it's designed. Well, I can't get any better than that. Um, as we uh, wrap this up and we see, you know, law enforcement ebbs and flows, and one of the things I say all the time is that I really wish our highs were a little lower and our lows were a little higher because we're very dramatic in our ups and downs throughout the country. But when I focus on the ups and downs throughout the country and and you kind of see those up and down going, uh, how how's the future look for law enforcement in your area as we move forward? Uh, have you seen, are you seeing us on the up or on the down? Uh, I think the only answer I can have is we're on the up. Um, and, uh, you and I have talked about it, whether it's at the summit or other places. Right. So I have a memory of years ago, right. I, uh, I know what it was like back in the day. Uh, but my new cats coming on, they just look at today as Monday, right? It's not Monday, 2023, three years after they think the world changed. They're like, cool. Uh, so we don't do this. Oh, all right. They, it doesn't matter to them. And so. I'm actually really jazzed and energized about that. Um, you could look at it and say, man, right? Like everyone did in the history of the earth. Uh, well, back when I came on, it was like this. Well, that's great for you, but I'm really excited of what the future You've been hanging out with, with Kevin Dillon too long. <laughs> well, hey, listen, there's a reason I put this off, right? Um, so I I'm excited for it. I actually, um, as much as I enjoyed back in the day when we chased everything till the wheels came off and everything, it was incredibly stupid and dangerous. 
Um, now we're moving to things like remote vehicle operations and teams and UAS, UABs, right? We're, we're doing felony stops with a, a drone flying out in front of the car first instead of running up to it a la chip style, right? Uh, that's exciting stuff. Um, right. And although policing is changing, I really believe that um, the majority of people trying to get in this job are still what they were for the last hundred years. That's service-minded people who want to do a really hard job really well. They just need support doing it. It's, it, it isn't 1985 anymore. Um, and so we need to support them. We need to support the technology changing. If laws change, Mr. And Mrs. Legislator, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. I'll do it that way now. Um, because, and you know, I say this ad nauseum, it's a choice. I choose to do this job. I could choose differently tomorrow. So if I choose to do it today, then take the world as it is and do the best you can. Well, I will say that having people like you in this job is what makes it a good profession. So I thank you very much uh, for your dedication to your, I, I know you're dedicated to your staff and your officers. I just know you as a person. So uh, I'm, I feel lucky for them that they're under, uh, under your guidance and in your tutelage. Um, hey, I look forward to seeing you at the 2023 Use of Force Summit. And uh, any last comments before we let you go back to the important police work you have in front of you? I, you know what? I'll say it because you gave me the opportunity. I love my people. I love my city. I, I love the, I love the women and men all around this country that choose to do this job. You are excellent, excellent people doing a hard job and you're trying your best to do it well. So thank you for that. Um, I'll tell anyone listening, if you haven't been in the summit, you've got to get to the summit, Eric and the DLG team, man, y'all put together just a fantastic experience top to bottom. Um, there you know, I, I tell my city manager, I'm putting my training uh, budget into the red every single year. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to run right past that wall because it's so critically important to get our people's minds and bodies developed further. So thank you to you and your staff for uh, for getting that set again. I'm excited. I'll be there. Um, and uh, I just appreciate it as always the opportunity for a great conversation, my man. Well, Hey, uh, you are uh, you are somebody I look up to, and I'm very happy to have a partnership and a friendship with you, Chief. So if you need something, as always, never hesitate to yell. Uh, be safe and take care of your people, and thank you very much. Thank you, sir. You got it. Good to talk to you. All right. Be well. The Guardian Mindset Podcast is sponsored by the DLG Learning Center. You can find us at www.dlglearningcenter.com. On the Learning Center you can find an extensive library of articles, webinars, and online training. Listen, if you find the podcast informative, I'd recommend checking out our weekly Path of the Guardian video training and our monthly supervisory continued education program. These programs can be purchased by single users or department-wide. And if you want easy access to articles and information, please download the Daigle Law Group app through either your Apple App Store or your Google App Store. And remember, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.